from the Cyber Hub Bunker and Studio. You're tuning in to the Cyber Hub Podcast. And now for your host and CISO, James Azar. Well, good morning, security gang. Back in the studio, and it's Thursday, August 17th, 2023. Thank you all for tuning in this morning. We are live on Facebook, LinkedIn, YouTube, Twitter, Twitch, and Rumble. Good morning to everyone tuning in. Please make sure to subscribe and follow us on your favorite podcast listening platform. Give us a five-star rating while you're at it on those platforms. That helps push us up in the ranking, and it doesn't matter every download. You can also follow the show on Substack, uh, where we post our podcast and also a lot of written articles and content. You can also support the show that way as well by going to jameshazard.substack.com for all the latest. We've got a very busy show this morning, and we're trying to wrap up this week. It's been a busy one. Tomorrow, we'll start to release our Black Hat content. I want to again thank Mesmo, Pantera, Adaptive Shield, and Blind Spot Security for their support of the podcast. Uh, tomorrow, we'll be releasing our episode with Marcel from uh, Pantera. A very, very interesting conversation around vulnerabilities, automated pen testing, and a whole lot more. So uh, you don't want to miss those. That's up tomorrow. So without further ado, let's go ahead and get into this morning's episode. But before we do it, y'all know the recipe and the program grab your cup of coffee, whatever your beverage of choice is this morning. Mine's a double espresso. Coffee cup cheers, y'all. This is an Ellie, I-L-L-Y espresso. It's really, really good, by the way. Really good. Um, We'll see those coffee shops every now and then. So we'll kick off with Microsoft being aware of an issue where a PowerShell gallery is prone to typo squatting and additional supply chain attacks. Their attempts to address it so far don't appear to have been working. Microsoft's PowerShell gallery uh, presents a software supply chain risk because of its relatively weak protections against attackers who want to upload malicious packages to the online repo, according to researchers at Aqua Nautilus. They recently tested the repository's policy regarding package names and owners and found that a threat actor could easily abuse them to spoof legitimate packages and make it hard for users to identify the true owner of one. If your organization uses PowerShell modules from the gallery, we suggest only using signed PowerShell modules utilizing trusted private repos and exercising caution when downloading new modules and scripts from registries, according to Yakir uh, Kadkoda, uh, who's a lead security researcher at Aqua. Second, we advise similar platforms to the PowerShell gallery to take necessary steps to enhance their security measures. For instance, they should implement a mechanism that prevents developers from uploading modules with names too similar to existing ones. Uh, CAD Coda says uh, Microsoft acknowledges the issues when informed about them and claims it has been addressed to separate issues. However, they've continued to check and the issues still exist as of yesterday. Microsoft did not respond to a dark reading request seeking comment. But one issue that Aqua did discover was the lack of any kind of protection against type of squatting, a deception technique the threat actors have increasingly used in recent years to trick users into downloading malicious packages from public software repositories. And if you're asking yourself, well, why is that? Critical, it's it's no different than what we're seeing on PyPy. And this is a new, by the way. So so this is one of the challenges I have with some of this as a practitioner. We know these threats. This isn't new. This isn't something that's out of the blue. It's there. It's a real threat. We know the software supply chain. If you've been asleep for the last three years and you miss solar winds and then the subsequent breaches thereafter, you know they're after these types of environments, and you've got to be hardening them. That's just really, really simple. And that's not the case uh, with some of these bigger firms, and that could be because it's not a priority. It's not a moneymaker, but it really should be. 
Um, it really should be. The cleaning product giant Clorox has announced a cybersecurity incident this week that took several systems offline. The company, which reported more than $7 billion in earnings last year through its namesake cleaning product and several others like Pine Sol, Burt's Bees, and more, reported the incident in a regulatory filing with the SEC. The company has identified unauthorized activity on some of its information uh, IT systems. After becoming aware of the activity, the company began taking steps to remediate the activity, including taking certain systems offline. The company is working diligently to respond to and address this issue. It's also coordinating with law enforcement to the extent possible and in line with its business continuity plans. They've implemented workarounds for certain offline operations in order to continue servicing their customers. The company also warned the cyber incidents of causing disruptions to part of the company's business operations and has forced them to hire a firm to help with the recovery. It's ongoing and still in its early stages. So this is likely going to have some impact on, are we going to see a Clorox bleach rush at the store now? Is it going to be COVID 2020, but with Clorox instead of toilet paper? I don't know. I don't know. But if a cyber attack ever did that, just understand that's when it's the beginning of the end for cyber. QR code phishing campaign is targeting a top U.S. energy company. Techers have sent over 1,000 emails with 2FA and MFA and other security-related lures aimed at stealing Microsoft credentials. Attackers have targeted a major U.S. energy company with a phishing campaign that overall sent more than 1,000 emails armed with malicious QR codes aimed at stealing credentials. The campaign discovered by Cofins in May used both PNG image attachments and redirect links associated with Microsoft Bing and well-known business applications, including Salesforce and Cloudflare's Web3 services with embedded QR codes. Uh, according to researchers, the messages used lures aimed at fostering a sense of urgency, spoofing Microsoft security alerts and claiming the recipient were required to update their accounts, security settings associated with two-factor authentication or multi-factor authentication, among others. The images and links included within the messages only send victims to a Microsoft credential phishing page. So there's that. While the campaign affected multiple industries, the top U.S. energy company received the lion's share of the phishing emails with employees there uh, on the receiving end of more than 29% of the 1,000-plus emails containing the malicious QR codes. The other top four targeted industries included manufacturing with 15% insurance with nine and technology with seven followed by financial services with six. Cofence did not release the name of the energy firm. Moreover, the company which is ongoing, uh, with the campaign which is ongoing is spreading quickly. The volume of the campaign has increased by more than 2,400% since May with average month-to-month growth percentage of more than 270 percentage uh, points there. So that's insane. The campaign represents what might have been a testing for, uh, efficiency, uh, for efficiency phase in May to late June. According to Nathaniel Raymond, a cyber threat intelligence analyst at Cofence and the writer of the report, then Cofence observed a considerable increase in QR codes being used for credential phishing for a brief time. It's rare, but successful attackers often don't use QR codes in phishing emails, mainly because they require an extra steps in terms of engaging with the victim to fall for a lure and thus could hinder the chances of success. QR codes are uncommon to see, especially in larger phishing campaigns. As they, have, uh, as they are limited to delivering credential phishing via a device with scanning capabilities, such as a wireless device, meaning your cell phone or, or, or handheld device like an iPad. Uh, the campaign makes use of the PDF or image file attachment with the QR code of it. They're training employees not to scan these, but we live in a world where in some restaurants today, they still don't have menus anymore. They've still got QR codes. And so when you get a QR code, so here's what we've done. 
we've kind of made it so don't scan QR codes. And, and, and if we go back pre-lockdowns, pre-COVID, QR codes was something we said, never trust the QR code that you can scan with your phone. Then COVID happened. Then everything was contactless. So QR codes became a thing. And a lot of food places were now conditioned. We see a QR code on a table and when we sit down. And if you don't get a menu, what do you do? You scan the QR code because you realize that's the only way you can order food. Last week in Blackout, this was really, really similar. It's that in a few places where I didn't get a paper menu. They just had a QR code. And we're like, uh, do we do this? Do we not? Do we get up? Do you guys have a paper menu that we can look at? And then we had to ask for it to get it, right? And so there, there's this whole contact list. So we've trained our people to just trust these QR codes blindly. If you haven't updated your phishing test, then this becomes a vector and, and, and threat actors know this or take advantage of it. And now this is this kind of becoming the fact that they see it in their email and they just react to it. So there needs to be a shift in education around QR codes. There, there definitely should be. That's why this has been successful uh, for these guys. So again, everything's in the show notes. You guys can check out the links there. Um, a massive 400,000 proxy botnet built with stealthy malware infection researchers uncovered a massive campaign that delivers proxy server apps to at least 400,000 Windows systems. The devices act as residential exit nodes without user consent, and a company is charging for the proxy traffic running through the machines. Residential proxies are valuable to criminals because they can help with deploying large-scale credential stuffing attacks from fresh IP addresses. They also have legitimate purposes like ad verification, data scraping, website testing, and privacy-enhancing rerouting. Some proxy companies sell access to residential proxies and offer monetary rewards to users who agree to share their bandwidth. AT&T Alien Lab says that 400,000 node proxy networks were was built by using a malicious payload that delivered the proxy application. Despite the company behind the botnet claiming that users give their consent, the researchers discovered the proxy was installed silently on the devices. In addition, as the proxy application is signed, it has no antivirus detection going under the radar for many security companies. In fact, the two Go-based binaries for Mac OS and Windows appear to originate from the same source code. However, the Windows proxy client evades antivirus detection due to using a valid digital signature altogether. The infection starts with the execution of a loader hidden in crack software and games, which downloads and installs the proxy application automatically in the background without any user interaction. The malware authors use Inno setup with specific parameters that hide any indication of the installation process and all typical user prompts. So there's that as well. The proxy then continues gathering vital information from the machine to ensure optimal performance and responsiveness. So how do you protect that? AT&T recommends looking for a digital pulse executable in the app data or a similarly named registry key on the HKCU software that uh, Microsoft Windows. You can see that on the screen there in front of you and in the show notes. Um, and we'll post this on our social media LinkedIn page later today. Google has is proud to introduce its first quantum resilient FIDO2 security key implementation as part of its OpenSK security key initiative. The open source hardware optimized implementation uses a novel ECC a lithium hybrid signature schema that benefits from the security of ECC against standard attacks and the lithium's resiliency against quantum attacks, according to Illy uh, Burstein and Fabian uh, Kazmierczyk. Uh, OpenSK is an open source implementation of security key. It's written in Rust that supports both FIDO uh, U2F and FIDO2 standards. So that's there now, folks, and that's a new option from the uh, folks over at Google. This has also announced the release of a strategic plan to help critical infrastructure organizations reduce risks associated with remote monitoring and management solutions. The newly released RMM Cyber Defense Plan was developed by the Joint Cyber Defense Collaborative in line with the June 2023 guidance on securing remote access software against malicious attacks 
and aligns with a CISA strategic plan for 2023 through 2025. To support the plan, the JCDC RMM Cyber Defense Plan identifies a path forward to reduce the risk to strengthen the resiliency of America's critical infrastructure organizations that are dependent upon RMM product. The new plan, CISA says, is meant to identify ways in which RMM vendors can improve cyber security as well as mechanisms to sustain cybersecurity collaborations in the area. The JCDC RMM Cyber Defense Plan provides cyber defense leaders in government and industry with the collaborative proposals for mitigating uh, uh, risks to the ecosystem. According to the plan, there's a collaboration that needs to be done and vendors have already shown willingness to do this. The question is, can it create resiliency? And then how easy would this be to implement for these power companies and for these critical infrastructure companies that don't always have the skills, don't always have the talent that need to be able to use this and can't. And that's going to be critical here. It's great that the government's making all these plans. It's wonderful. Listen, no one's a greater fan of what SIS has been trying to do under, under the leadership of Director Easterly than yours, truly. However, same time, you're making all these plans and you're ramming them at orgs and all of these plans and all of these best practices become overwhelming. It becomes noise. It becomes no different than your un, un, like an, an, an underplanned sim. Just a lot of ding, 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 ding and you're running at fires you're not knowing what's serious and what's not. We've got to identify what's serious. We've got to identify what's not. We've got to be able to say this is a real risk or this is not as big of a risk. And this is how we implement it. And this is how easy or hard it is. And this is what it's going to cost. And this is what the ROI looks like. Unless we do that, we shouldn't want to care about it at all. Our final story is the U.S. Chamber of Commerce is urging the SEC to delay its cyber rule implementation, claiming that they've chosen speed, over accuracy while uh, ignoring important business community issues and pushing out the regulation. So the SEC is getting ready to take on the U.S. Chamber of Commerce. Uh, Cybersecurity risk and incident disclosures were informed primarily by agency staff guidance published in 2011 and then commission levels published in 2018. The new rules will significantly affect the way public companies disclose incidents and matters related to their cybersecurity oversight. Implementation dates under the rules are extremely tight, the firm said. General covered entities other than smaller reporting businesses will be required to comply with the new breach disclosure requirements beginning on December 18th. Smaller companies are subject to the mandates of June 5th of next year. Um, They can be delayed. Disclosures could be delayed if the Department of Justice determines the incident poses a substantial risk to national security or public safety. Uh, But the Chamber of Commerce has issues with saying that this one is not the right outcome. There's litigation also there. Um, and there's potential that the U.S. Chamber of Commerce could be seeking litigation in court to postpone these rules by the SEC, which would be significant, by the way, um, extremely, extremely significant. Um, so we'll see what this does to the SEC rule. Obviously, we've, we've done a show about this, and I'll, and I'll tag it in at the end of the YouTube video for all of y'all to go to go take a look at it. I think there's there's odds here with with, with, between the business community and the SEC around this. I've yet to see a regulation stop anything. All this is doing is just letting investors and and shareholders know that a company is going through a cyber incident when not a lot of data becomes available, which leads to speculation, which is going to lead to a whole bunch of damage that may or may not be necessary. And at some point, we have to defend the victims of these. So the SEC could put oversight rules over cyber and border requirements. Those are welcome. I don't know that these breach reporting timelines are effective. I think they increase the cost of, of reporting a breach. They have you focus on all the wrong things rather than the right things. Uh, but I'd love to hear your opinions in the comments below. 
or go to cyberhelppodcast.com and let us know what you think there in our contact us section. So that's it for our show this morning. We'll be back Monday, 9 a.m. Eastern right here with all the latest and greatest. Can't wait to share with you all so much more tomorrow, 11 a.m. Eastern. I'll be releasing our first uh, of four episodes um, from Black Hat with our good friends over at Pantera. And we, by the way, talk about their book, which is unbelievable. So they've released a kid's book, Cyber Defenders. Really, really cool. I've been reading it to my little guy uh, at night before I put him to bed. He's really into it. So that's a good thing. That's it for our show today. We'll be back with a whole lot more on Monday. Until then, have a great weekend, y'all. Thank you all for tuning in. Thank you for all your support. And stay cyber safe. We love feedback, so make sure to connect with us on social media and subscribe to our podcast on your favorite podcast listening platform.